it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have a really special show. We have a fun show that we're going to talk about investing, of course. But we have Matthew Roseberry, who is an author of a book that I think is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. It's a teenager's guide on how to invest like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Where was this when I was a teenager? So Matthew is a self-taught investor who started learning about investing about five years ago. And he had an interest in investing growing up, but didn't know any friends or family who did it like most of us. So he was intimidated at first to learn. He started by listening to podcasts, including ours, which I'm humbled to know. And he's also started listening to anything and everything he could find out about Buffett and Munger, which led him to writing this fantastic book. So Matthew, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to come talk to us. So I guess let's start with what got you started in investing like you said you had an interest early so what prompted that well thank you for having me on today and growing up you always see investing in movies and and reading about it and you see it as this way where opportunity to make a great amount of money and do all these great things but you're not really sure i wasn't really sure how to go about it and so you just kind of put it on the back burner and, and I was focusing on other things. But about five years ago, I started to think about what can I do to learn more for myself and just have more control over my own future and my own money. And so what I wanted to do was think about where should I start? And so I was searching for things like podcasts for beginners, podcasts on investing, podcasts on value investing. And just coming across some different podcasts. And after listening to a few different ones, I was able to come across a conversation with Monesh Prabhai, where he talked about how he got started. And it was when he was walking through an airport and he comes across the biography of Buffett by Lowenstein, 
and he reads it just by chance and it goes from there. And so for me looking to get started, it was that kind of just a fear of taking that first step. But once I kind of ripped off the bandaid a bit and took those small steps, it compounded from there. That's awesome. So what was the biggest fear that you had when you first started out? Like what were some things that maybe held you back from starting? So a big fear for me was, again, the portrayal that you get of investing, at least from my perspective, a lot of times you see it on TV or the movies is you see the algorithms and all these, the fancy uh, computer screens and five different computer screens for the day traders. And you think, well, I can't do that. And so how am I going to be able to do that? And so once I realized that that's not exactly what investing was about, that helped me in my process to get started further. That makes sense. So was there something about Warren Buffett's story that maybe helped alleviate those fears? Was it something about Manish Prabhai's story? Was it something else completely? If you can take a trip down memory lane. So I think what clicked for me was as I was listening to Monash and started to learn and even started learning from different podcasts, it was that while you need a basic understanding of numbers and accounting, that really is a small factor in investing. The bigger issues to success are things like the mindset that you have, the psychology that you have in being able to self-analyze yourself and figure out for yourself basically what game you are trying to play as an investor. And so once I realized that it wasn't this magical, mythical, algorithm, hocus-pocus formula that you as the average individual person could learn about investing by taking step-by-steps, by taking some time, to go through the process and learn a little bit more as you go along. What do you wish you had known earlier in your investing journey that you know now? So the big one for me is to figure out which game you are playing with investing. So that's a big concept that Morgan Housel talks about, one of my favorite authors, is we're all playing different games with investing. And the idea of, you can say that I'm an investor, like you're an investor, like Warren Buffett's an investor. We're all investors. And there's a certain professionalism to that and kind of a respect to that. But it's kind of like saying like, well, you know, I play basketball on the weekends. So I'm a basketball player. Like LeBron James is a basketball player. And right. So we're all playing different games and we all have different skill levels when it comes to that. And so I wish that I knew early on that once you figure out what type of game that you're playing and what your goals are, you have a much better chance for success. And also, I wish I realized just how much more the qualitative aspects and the psychology aspects of investing, the emotional aspect that you're able to control apart from the numbers is even more important than the numbers themselves. Because yes, you can learn about accounting and and get a greater grasp of the numbers, but ultimately what's really going to determine your success is the qualitative and the emotional psychological aspects. So how would you define the game that you are playing yourself? And would you say that game, not that the game has changed, but maybe the game that you wanted to play changed or has that stayed pretty much the same also? So I feel like when I was starting out that I think in a way that as a new investor, you're trying to impress, or at least I was kind of trying to feel like I was trying to 
impress even myself to where I felt like I had to start looking about or learning about companies that would tend to be more difficult, especially for a newer investor. So like say with banking, I feel like banking was an industry that I could understand, but I would try and look at the biggest, largest national banks that have, you know, huge balance sheets and and all these different things that you have to go through. That's a much harder analysis than if you say, well, okay, I might be able to understand banking, but I can look at a local regional bank and I can go through their analysis and look at them at their level. And so I think it's helpful to realize that investing can be difficult, (laughs) is difficult and complicated, but you do not need to make it any more difficult or more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. And there's something powerful about Warren Buffett and Coca-Cola because, I mean, it might maybe, I guess you could debate how popular Coca-Cola is these days, but... I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand generally what Coca-Cola is. And a lot of people like to drink it. And sometimes it can be... I mean, obviously, you have to do the basic financial analysis, right? To make sure a company is healthy and profitable and growing and all those things. But at the end of the day, they make a good product and it tastes really good. Especially with Coca-Cola. Again, you can focus on the quantitative aspects. But what really separates Coca-Cola. What Buffett learned early on was that they have a share of mind aspect to them. And so, especially with Munger's help, Buffett, they realized that the share of mind is what sets Coca-Cola apart and that Coca-Cola spends billions of dollars in advertising to its sporting events and the Olympics to have these positive associations in your mind that you have all these positive memories of this is what I was doing when I was drinking Coke. And so, Coca-Cola is a big share of mind company. And also the share of mind aspect, when for billions of people around the world, when you ask them to think of soda, the first image that comes to their mind is a can or a bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> and a lot of places around the world, they just call it Coke. They don't call it soda. So that's what Buffett and Munger were able to figure early on and big part of what made them so successful. And so again, they weren't just looking at the numbers. Yes, the numbers made sense. You know, if you increase the price of Coca-Cola just by a penny, you added billions of dollars to the spreadsheet. But so while that was important, what Buffett really saw was that by increasing share of mind and by working to increase that in the overall amount of people that would have that share of mind, that's what really sets Coca-Cola apart. What's the best way to steward your wealth? Looking to find great businesses with a margin of safety? My advice, Value Spotlight at valuespotlight.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. 
I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, I love that. So there are other examples of companies that something about them qualitatively really stands out to you. Well, Seize Candy is another great example. Uh, so I personally grew up eating seeds candy my family's out on the West coast in California. And so I have all these positive memories of, in the holidays of eating seeds candy and around Christmas time and with my family. And so still now and doing that as a kid, but now here as an adult, when it becomes the holidays, even though I'm on the East coast, I still want a box of seeds candy and I go look to hunt and find where I can get one, even if I have to drive an hour to get it. And is it because Seas Candy is the best tasting box chocolate candy? No. It's because of all those memories and the positive feelings that I have for it. And that's what Buffett and Munger figured out early on. And Seas Candy was really their first example of that. Buffett likes to tell the joke of you take the Seas Candy with you to your first date, you give the Seas Candy to your date, and they give you a kiss at the end of the date. And Buffett knows he has you that you're hooked. And yeah, the Seas Candy customer for life. <laughs> no guarantee on the girl, but at least Buffett wins. <laughs> yes. So are there any companies in the markets now that you feel like maybe have kind of those same characteristics beyond Coke and Seas Candies? Yes. And so I think that's a good point because people can look at it and say, well, that's ancient history, right? Buffett made those investments in the 70s and the 80s. But to me, if you look at Apple the biggest and most successful investment in terms of dollar terms, to me, that's really a share of mind investment because yes, the financials are great. They get great returns on equity. They have a great balance sheet, great cash reserves. But really, in my opinion, what pushed Buffett to make Apple such a large investment after not wanting to invest in technology for his whole career for over 50 years was that he realized that it was not a technology investment. It was a share of mind investment in that for billions of people around the world, when you ask them to think of a cell phone, 
the first image that comes into their mind is an iPhone. And so Buffett likes to tell the joke. His big dawning realization moment was that he was talking to a friend and the friend said that he would rather give up his private jet than his iPhone. <laughs> and that's when Buffett made the big investment. So to me, Apple really is a big share of my purchase. And I know listeners might think, well, Apple's a great company. I already know this. It's you know, priced as a great company. Why should I maybe want to learn more about Apple if I'm probably not going to be able to invest in it because it's not at a great price? But there's power in studying companies that you already know are wonderful and figuring out what are the characteristics that set them apart from their competition? What competitive advantages do they have? How are they looking to strengthen those? How are they building those? And what sets them apart from their competitors? I'm literally staring for whatever reason. I'm weird and I put like a Microsoft Windows logo as my background here on my desktop. (laughs) And it's an all white logo. And I feel like Apple was the first company to really push forward the whole white aesthetic as a corporate thing. And now I drive down to different shopping centers and it feels like even Target has taken their trademark red and turned it white. And it just seems like everybody's going white following the leader. And I feel like Apple in particular seems to be the leader in a lot of different ideas, not just cell phones. Right. And that definitely uh, gets into the aspect of the founder with Steve Jobs. He's no longer with us, but having that founder-led company and uh, what he wanted to create of creating things to be as simple and user-friendly as possible when you were to look at the iPhone just the amount of focus and energy and drive that he put into that is really what set that apart and what continues to set them apart today. And again, with starting out as a new investor thinking of what are things that I should look for or companies that I could look for, qualities, leaders I could look for. One of the things that I realized later on, I wish I known a little bit sooner was that if you look at companies that are founder-led, those companies tend to have characteristics or aspects to them that can set them apart from companies that are run by a CEO who comes over from another industry or another company who's only been there for a few years. The companies that have founders there, those founders care about the success of the company. They're thinking about it in a way that just a regular CEO would not. Yeah. Or even being groomed up in that, like living the corporate life. So I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm familiar with your book, but I think about Costco as an example. The past two CEOs who have taken the helm after the previous CEOs are baked in the Costco culture. Like they are Costco company men. They rose through the ranks, They're, they embody the Costco culture. And I know you're a fan of Costco based on some of the stuff in your book. So do you feel like a lot of the things we've talked about today can also apply to a company like Costco? Oh, yes. I love Costco. Let me uh, count the ways. (laughs) So I think the best way to set the scene for, for Costco is the annual meeting for Berkshire. Buffett like told the story of Buffett's held up at gunpoint with him and the guy next to him. And the gunman says, are there any final requests? And the guy next to Buffett says, let me tell one final story about Costco. And Buffett interjects, shoot me first. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so even the great Warren Buffett got tired of uh, hearing how wonderful Costco was from Charlie. It's interesting to see that they never did invest in it. And I think it was because Charlie was on the board of Costco and Buffett didn't want to have that conflict. But they knew from early on that it was a great company. And we can see on the outside that you know, Costco is a great company and one of its modes is a price mode. It's the low cost supplier. And it's not only that, they not only give the customers the lowest price, they treat their suppliers fairly, which again is an ethos of the company that the CEOs continue to have. Same with not wanting to market prices beyond the 15% profit rate. So that was the founder, he insisted on that and they've continued on through that till now because that's an ethos in the company that yes, we could make a greater profit, but that wouldn't be fair to our customers and consumers. And to have that focus of wanting to do what's best for them and is what helps set them apart. And the other big aspect to Costco is that it really also is a share of mine company in the favorable impression aspect of for customers if you were to ask them to give up their Costco membership, customers would find it very difficult. And it's because of they know that when they go there, they're going to get the best price and value that they can, and they're going to be treated fairly. Maybe I know you mentioned Activision Blizzard in your book as well. And I'm a non-gamer. So, of course, I've seen some of the games and I've watched them and whatnot, but I'm not a player of the games. So what is Activision Blizzard to people that, you know, the three of us out in the world that don't play games? What is Activision? And maybe can you kind of talk about what what you think their mode is? Yes. So I think that's a great question in that for Activision Blizzard, what it is, is it's a social network for gamers. So if you're not a gamer, that's your, that's what it is. And it's important as a new investor to be able to say in a sentence or two, what the company does. What's the purpose of the company? If you're not able to write out or speak out in a sentence or two, what is the purpose of the company? Then it's most likely a company that's too difficult for you to fully understand. And that's an important aspect that I also wish I knew a little bit sooner was that it's okay to realize if you do not fully understand something, to have that self-awareness, to say, well, I understand it maybe 75%, but there's still this part that I'm missing. And then to kind of leave it there and be able to go back to it later to finish out and make sure you fully understand it. Because the only person that you're really tricking is yourself if you think, I do fully understand this company, I'm ready to invest in it, and then you go to look at it and there is an area of an analysis that you're missing. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. 
HIMSS provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. What is it about the social network that can be so powerful? I agree with you. I guess my limited exposure to the company would be playing some of the games as a kid and then seeing my brothers play some of the games. And really, like in the past five years, I would say really seeing the social part of it really stands out to me. What about social networks can be strong for a business? And why does that make it a moat? So if you look at it, one of the key performance metrics for Activision Blizzard is their monthly active users. And in the book, I looked at the 2020 annual report and they averaged 1 billion with a B active monthly users. And so if you put that into perspective, that's a lot of people, right? It's a good, about three times the population of the United States. And so those people that are logging on, they're doing it because if they want to be able to connect with their friends or their family that is using the network, they have to be able to do it through there. And there is an exclusivity to it. And what makes the network effect so strong is it just kind of compounds onto each other in that as more and more people continue to use it, you'll get more and more exposure to it. And even if I'm not using it or you're not using it, the target customer for Activision Blizzard is only going to be growing in their earning power and in their ability to connect. So it's an area where the potential for growth is great as well. So you have that working in favor for the company as well. Do you feel like for gaming in particular, do you feel like there's going to be like one dominant network? Do you think there's room for multiple? What's your take on that? I think there's room for a couple. I think in their space, Activision Blizzard is the market leader. And that's important when you're starting out in investing to to look for market leaders in the areas that you're, you're researching. So there's also electronic arts, right? That's apples and oranges. They're two different target customers. Yes, you might have some crossover between the two, right? But most people that are playing Call of Duty or World of Warcraft are not also playing FIFA. Or if they are, they're playing both. <laughs> right. Or if they have a preference for, for one over the other. Right. Yeah, makes sense. So do you think that Microsoft buying them was a good move? So why? I know this answer might seem simple, but there are power in simple answers. So my answer is yes, it was a good decision to acquire Activision. And the reason for that is because I think on their key metrics, 
they're going to be bigger five years from now or 10 years from now. Uh, they're going to be a bigger, more profitable company. They're going to have more active monthly users. They're going to increase the revenue. And that's really what it's all about. Now, you can look at the price that Microsoft paid and you can think, well, maybe they paid too much of a price. But what really matters in investing are, and what Buffett and Munger focus on is the key question of, is this going to be a more profitable company five years from now or 10 years from now? And especially early on in investing, that's something I wish I knew because at least for me, felt like so much attention is focused on price. Am I getting this for the right price? Is it a good bargain? Am I doing this analysis correctly? But even if you get those aspects somewhat wrong, if your company is going to be a bigger, better, stronger company in five to 10 years from now, the purchase price is going to, for the most part, to be able to take care of itself in that you're at least not going to lose money on your investment, which is something that Buffett and Munger focus heavily on is not making the mistake of not the downside, not losing money. I know a lot of investors focus on the upside of how much money can I make, but I think what really helps set Buffett and Munger apart is the inversion of what's the downside? How much money am I going to lose if this investment goes wrong? Yeah, and that's what I love about Monish Prabhai and particularly his book, The Dondo Investor, where he talks about that idea of heads I win, tails I don't lose that much. And I think that's such a powerful idea. And to your point, simple, but it's easy for most people to understand is I can take a risk, but the risk has to be proportionate to what I think I can earn versus what I could possibly lose. And if I can limit that downside, you're going to be ahead. You know, you're going to be a long ways farther ahead than if not. And another point to go along with what Monesh likes to say, he points out that you only need a few good investment ideas to make yourself rich. And if you have three or five investment ideas that you get 20, a 20% or 20 times return or 50 times return or a hundred times return, that can take care of a lot of investment mistakes. And so that heads I win, tails I don't lose much, that mindset really can help with picturing the overall success of what should I be looking for? The other thing I like about that is I think most new investors feel like every investment has to be perfect. And if you don't hit 100% of every single choice, that you're going to lose money. And I think the idea that you were talking about is you can pick 10 companies and three of them may be fantastic investments and five of them may be good investments and two of them may not turn out the way you expect. And I think once you understand that your hit rate is going to be 40, 50, 60% and not 100%, I think it starts to take some of the pressure off of you know the agony of, do I buy this or do I not buy this? And that's what I love about what you were just talking about. Exactly. It's like baseball, my favorite sport. Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> yes. It's about a batting average, right? And mm-hmm. that's Buffett, something he talks about all the time. Baseball is his favorite sport. And that if you're successful, really successful, three out of the 10 times, you're going to be rich if you limit mm-hmm. your downside and your losses on your other investments. Right, exactly. That's a good point. So like kind of to that idea, if you've limited your losses, then the big winner doesn't need to be this once in a generation idea. It could be just something simple like Coca-Cola or Apple because it doesn't need to be, you don't have to make up for as big of losses. Yeah, I love that idea a lot. Yeah, me too. All right. So can we talk about how do we get 
you know, Andrew and I have 11 year old daughters and whenever we talk to them about investing, we get the eye rolls. So I'm not sure if that's going to change much when they're 14 or 15. So how do I get a teenager interested in investing? So I think the best way to do that, really teenager or adult, is to focus on what are they interested in. So a point I make in the book is for teenagers to think about, if you have a job, a first job, what are you spending your money on? Or if you don't have a job yet, what are you spending your parents' money on? So I have a nephew and he loves Chipotle. (laughs) Eat there several times a week. And so he's a teenager and my advice to him is to want to start learning about investing is start with Chipotle. It's what you love. We know it's a great company. And so now we have to figure out what makes Chipotle great. And especially for a new investor, I think it's a great way to start is to look at companies that you know are successful and to kind of reverse engineer what makes them so successful. Chipotle is a great example of that. And you think of, okay, why are they the only company nationally in the country that can make burritos? So I think there's regional companies, right, that do it, but there's no one nationally that's able to do what Chipotle does. And yes, there's Taco Bell, but Taco Bell and Chipotle are apples and oranges. So what sets them apart? And so if you are trying to get a teenager interested or anyone interested in investing, figure out what they enjoy doing, whether it's what they like to eat or if they like to travel or if they like to play games or if they like music. There's all different types of industries out there that you can start with and just have them learn about the companies. And you could maybe even uh, trick them a little bit in a way of like, you know, this is not exactly about investing or stocks, but just what's special about Chipotle? Why do you like it? And have them like write out a list and and look at those factors and, and kind of go from there. That's great advice. Do you recommend, like one of the things that I've read about and I've done it a little bit with my daughter is opening a brokerage account for her and telling her, I'm going to put $100 in this account for you this month. And what companies do you want to pick? And just letting them kind of make their own choices. I think that's a great point in that you can theoretically understand investing and you can do the paper trading accounts. But until you actually have skin in the game, until you're actually doing it for real with real money, there's a difference there. And so if you give them that opportunity and then you give them some bit of that free reign, but then get them to explain, you know, after the fact, maybe a little bit of an after action report of why did you choose these companies? Why did you pick them over these other ones? And just kind of be able to have an open dialogue or discussion about. That's awesome. I'm just thinking about my daughter. I did something similar to the way you're talking about, Dave, and didn't do anything. And then we looked back like a year and a half later. And when I told her how much money was in her account now, it was almost like it clicked. Like, oh, you can make money from this, you know? So I don't know. There's just something weird about like seeing it for yourself versus being told it can make a huge impact. Are there any other things that you think maybe are particular that the teenagers that maybe affect the way they think about investing or the way you can talk to them about investing? Yes. The for teenagers that are numerically inclined, that enjoy the numbers, for them to really truly grasp the concept of compound interest, it's huge in investing because the two key variables in building wealth are the rate of your return 
and how long you can sustain that rate of return over time. So by starting as a teenager, it's a huge advantage. And yes, Warren Buffett is an excellent, amazing investor. But the biggest reason for his success is because he started at 11 and he's still investing now in his 90s. So he has an over 80-year career to compound. And that's what really sets him apart. So 99% of his wealth was accumulated after the age of 50. And so for a teenager to really understand that concept of, if I start now, even if it's a small amount of money, the way that it can compound and grow over time can make a huge difference. And that's why I put a part in the introduction of my book in that The Teenage Millionaire, because really most teenagers now have the ability, if you start out at the young age, to become a millionaire in your 40s. You can start with an initial investment of just a couple hundred dollars and then add to that over time. And so for the teenagers that are numerically inclined, that enjoy the numbers, just to have them see and kind of play around with the compound interest table or calculator is <laughs> pretty powerful. Indeed, indeed. Well, this has been fun. Matthew, I appreciate your time and coming on. The book you know, could be a great gift for a teenager or even informative if you're a parent yourself. I don't know if I'd give it to a girlfriend for Valentine's Day or anything like that, but <laughs> tell us about the book. You know, Where can people find it? What's the best place for them to, to pick one up? Yes. Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon. It's a teenager's guide on how to invest like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And it's a good book for teenagers as well as for those looking to start out in investing for beginning and new investors. Maybe the one other thing I would want to talk about is kind of like the incentives, the power of incentives, especially for a teenager. That's important, I feel, for them to, important concept to understand. So where can people buy the book? Where can they check that out? What's the book called? Why, why would a teenager be motivated or is there a way to get a teenager motivated to read the book? So the book is available on Amazon, A Teenager's Guide on How to Invest Like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. It's a great book for teenagers or new investors and how to get teenagers invested or wanting to learn more. I'd really turn to the power of incentives because incentives really matter. It's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from Charlie Munger is that most people underestimate the power of incentives. So when you're starting out in investing, and you're looking at companies, really look for what incentives are aligned to what the company is trying to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Incentives are incredibly powerful for sure. Matthew, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And please go out and check out his book, A Teenager's Guide on How to Invest Like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I think it'll be very worth your while. I know I'm going to check it out so that I can share it with my daughter because it's going to be very helpful. So I applaud you for what you're doing and trying to help get more people started earlier in investing. That's awesome. And we, again, appreciate your time coming and talking to us today. And uh, everyone, you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at Stock Market PDF. 
www.thepowerofpositivityworkshop.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.